You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Oh man, it was too much fun being there down there in Mexico. And I just want to say special thanks to all of you who gave financially, who've been praying for us because we really couldn't do it without you. And so uh, we got to go down there and build that house. I had the joy and the pleasure to go uh, visit uh, some of the other families and see their houses as well that we built in years past. And good news is the Corona family, ironically, the one we built during Corona. And uh, I saw that house. It stands beautifully. It's looking good. Um, Family's doing great. And then I got to spend more time uh, with Jose and Evelyn as well, the, the house that we built three years ago. They're doing great. And so they say thank you again on behalf of North Valley and then this family right here. So good work. Let's celebrate that one more time. Well, hey, we're going to jump into a message uh, series today that's called, uh, or jump into a, a message today called Your Design to Shine. And um, so this is a three-week series. I'm wrapping it up today. And here, here's, here's what's really important. Um, even though you didn't go to Mexico, and, and many of you didn't go to Mexico, um, your ha- you have an powerful and influential design to reach people for Jesus Christ. Every Christian's been given the greatest commandments, love God, love neighbor. Every Christian's been given the great commission, go make disciples of all nations. So everybody has this great responsibility and a great privilege. And then the question comes, well, how do you really do that? And so um, week one, I talked about that in the uh, parable, where where the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about, you're the light of the world. Then he goes on to say that you're the salt of the earth. And then I came up with this equation. I want to show you this equation. It is for highly influential faith. Here's what it is. That equation is spiritual potency plus close contact plus spiritual illumination is... Uh, kind of a, a, a formula, if you will, for a highly influential life. And so what we saw in that is that, that it's really important to spiritually potency, that idea of a salt connecting to uh, whatever it comes into contact, it changes the flavor. Then that idea of close contact, you got to have close contact with other folks. That's what the idea with you're the the salt of the world, you're the light of the world, uh, and we know that light shines best in the darkness, right? And so, and there's this spiritual illumination, but what I want to talk to you today really comes out of this passage out of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and it's about the design. Um, In in secular universities, you hear this concept that is called um, arguing for a a curriculum, an option, in addition to the evolution theory of intelligent design. Uh, I would think that would be a great option. I remember going to a college campus, secular uh, campus and uh, in business school, and I still had to take like psychology and all these other courses. And they taught evolution as a theory and then even would go so far. This one professor taught it as a fact. Well, the Bible argues this concept that there is something far greater than the evolutionary theory about why we're here and who we are uh, for people. It's the design theory, that God is an intelligent designer. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, as believers, you and I know that, that section of scripture, perhaps, about the doctrine of salvation, that we're saved by God's grace, but we forget to think about why we are saved. And that's what I want to push at today is that you all have a unique design. You all have an incredible influence potential 
You don't have to go to Mexico to have that powerful potential and influence, but you do have to get in line with your design. Watch this, Ephesians uh, 2, 8 through 10. It says, the Apostle Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is the core essential proof text for uh, uh, Jesus-centered, gospel-centered Christianity, that you're saved not because of the things that you do. Um, You're saved because of how great God is, that Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf, that we experience God's grace. Grace means is that you get something that you don't deserve. And so you and I as Christians have a very unique religion among all other religions that basically says, you have a gift of salvation. It's available because of God's grace. You just need to have the faith to receive it. That's powerful. But here's the question I want to take you on. Why are we saved? That We're not saved by good works. It's nothing that we do, but there's a purpose statement behind our salvation. We were designed to shine. That's what the Sermon on the Mount said. You are a light to the whole world. You are salt of the earth. But why were we saved? Verse 10 tells us so clearly, for we are his workmanship. Everybody say that with me. For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? God's workmanship. He created us. He crafted us. It says created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should walk in them, that we should walk in them, that we should walk in them. So the, the question is, is does everybody walk in them? I don't think so. I, I think we were created for good works, um, but we should walk in those. Walk, walk in the way God designed us. Two words I want to highlight on that passage. One is created. It means to literally create or establish. It means that God has a destiny for your life, that he created you, he formed you, he fashioned you, you have a beautiful, wonderful personality, even though people may be annoyed by you, guess what? Somebody somewhere needs you. There's millions of people that don't know Jesus Christ. There's millions of different personalities. There's millions of people with different needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and guess what? Not one size fits all in God's kingdom. He created you for a specific purpose and a style and a design on how to be an influence. So that word created means that God created you. God established you. There is an intelligent designer. Um, Jesus was there in the beginning, by the way, when Genesis is a historical record of how all things came to being. It's not historical uh, or or, historical. poetic Hebrew uh, poetry, as some uh, scholars and uh, liberal uh, theologians would say. It's not, Genesis is a historical uh, account of how things came into being. Jesus was there when the scripture says, and let us make man in our image. So that word created, notice that. And then he says, for good works. So why are you created? Why are you here? What is the meaning of life? Why why did God create you? Answer it out of this text. For we were created in Christ Jesus for what? That's it. You were created for a purpose. 
So, so we've got to figure out how to do that. And so what I would argue is that there's, we're all different, different types of, uh, we're all different and God uses different kinds of people and personalities to reach all sorts of different kinds of people with different personalities. Does that make sense? So here's what I want to do. I want to show you um, six different styles of what I'm going to say evangelism for a highly influential faith. If you're a, a non-believer, you, don't, you haven't crossed the finish line and say, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ, you get an inside look at how the church has been growing for thousands of years. Why Christianity is still the largest uh, religion in all the world and still will be by 2025, according to Pew Research and all sorts of other statisticians. So how is it working? Well, it's because people have discovered their design and they're highly, the church is working together Christians to be highly influential. Six different styles. The one that you're perhaps most familiar with, with this idea of evangelism, that's sharing Christ to those who not, do not yet know him, would be, number one, would be the preaching style of evangelism. So I'm a preacher, teacher. I got preacher kids. I'm the preacher. I got the preacher family. I didn't come from a line of preachers, but I, I, I'm a preacher. And you would know that. You would say that. Come, my pastor preaches on Sunday. Uh, preaching is the proclamation of God's word. This is one style of evangelism, and it worked really, really well in the early church and still has ever since. Modern day examples of the preaching style of evangelism would be like Billy Graham, Luis Palau, these kinds of people, Phil Stadiums, Greg Laurie, all these folks that have done this over the years. And you say, well, I don't know if I have that style or not. Hang with me just for a second. Um, but we see this in Acts chapter 2. The apostle Peter preaches and people repent, and they're baptized, and literally the scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. I mean, it was a massive success for people converting to Christianity, walking out of uh, dead Judaism. They believed Jesus truly was the Messiah. They repented. They realized that they were the ones that actually put Jesus on the cross. They turned from their sin, turned towards their Savior, and there's a revival. So the preaching style is very, very important. For you, you might say, well, I don't, I'm not a preacher. No, but I would drop the preaching style and call it the preachy style. You ever been called preachy? Hey, quit. You're, time out. Why are you preaching at me? Why are you so preachy? The preachy style of evangelism is where you're confident and bold. You may identify to this style of evangelism, um, and you might likely fall into this category if the following kind of statements are true. In conversations, you like to approach topics directly without beating around the bush. You, you tend to say things like, look, I'm just going to say it like it is, okay? And then people are like, dang, he's a little rude or she's a little rude. Um, you might say things like, I don't shy away from challenging someone when it seems necessary. You might have that preachy style of evangelism. I don't have a problem confronting my friends with truth, even if it strains the relationship. My wife's told me before, Ryan, the way you confronted that individual, they may never be your friend again. And I tally it up and I say, well, the truth was spoken. Yeah, yeah and, and the preachy people say, yeah, and the rest of the people are like, that is so mean. <laughs> but doesn't it take different types of people to reach different types of people? So Peter tells this crowd of people, he says, time out. You're the ones who killed Jesus. You did it. And the Holy Spirit swept over this huge mass of people, convicted hearts, and they turned from sin, and they were baptized, 
and they receive salvation. So don't discount the preacher. Even the guy that stands at the corner of the train station and he's preaching hellfire brimstone. He has a place in God's kingdom. He really does. Somebody stops. Somebody listens. But not everybody. So it's incredibly important if you're this style, uh, you don't have a problem confronting people, you're not afraid to lose a relationship, but you, it, and sometimes you get in trouble for lacking gentleness and sensitivity when you interact with others. Does this sound like you? Can you relate? So here's some tips for you. Avoid judging people and guilting people who don't have that same style of evangelism. Because most people don't have that style of evangelism. Or maybe you could ask your friends for feedback when you get into a conversation to have the right balance of boldness and gentleness. Oftentimes when I'm in these kind of situations, I bring people in with me because they might pause me. Uh, Pastor Jonathan, the guy who helped me start the church, would pause me every once in a while. He'd be like, hey, Ryan, cool it down a little bit. You're getting heated up. And it would help me to have a greater influence. Number one is the preachy style of evangelism. You think, yeah, I knew that. Okay, here's another one. The second style is reasoning style of evangelism. Contemporary culture, we think of guys like Lee Strobel. He was a journalist who tried to disprove the claims of Jesus Christ, specifically the resurrection, and then kind of came to the end of an intellectual journey of reasoning and goes, sold out. Um, the reasoning style of evangelism is found with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was waiting in Athens. Athens was this incredible, powerful city, had the brightest and the best universities there in Greek culture, had Stoic philosophers and Epicureans. They're just brilliantly minded people, genius. And so Paul's there, and the scripture says in verse 17, he says that he reasoned with everybody. He reasoned with them. When, when you reason, there's a give and take, a tug of war. There's a following somebody in their intellectual conversations and then answering them and refuting them. There's these folks that, uh, that have this reasoning style of evangelism are likely to be analytical, likely to debate. They're more concerned with, the, with what people think than what people feel. I remember I met Josh McDowell, another uh, great example of a contemporary example of this. And Josh McDowell was just uh, defending the claims of Christianity. And I was a new believer that kind of believed in Jesus because it was an, um, an emotional escape from my tumultuous train wreck lifestyle. And it wasn't later until college until I started reasoning and debating and dialoguing and understanding why Christianity actually does make sense and and all that. But I'm, I'm in a room with Josh McDowell, and I remember thinking, this guy's kind of cocky. This guy's kind of arrogant, but he is a genius. Um, these kind of individuals can come across as uh, brash or um, difficult because, listen to this, their blind spot is they're more committed to the truth than they are anything else. So they'll argue with you all day long and do it intelligently, and they flex their powerful brain muscles and you're going to get crushed. So this might most likely could be your style if you go into a bookstore and then you just can't leave. Literally, we were at the beach after the mission trip and one of the pastor buddies of mine, I'm like, hey, where's your husband to, to the wife? And she said, oh, he's up in the room reading a book. I'm like, who does that? There's a beach here. Why are you in a room reading books? You might have this reasoning style of evangelism. This might be you if you tend to be more analytical or logical, or in conversations, you naturally key in on questions and hold person, hold somebody's idea or understanding, and you begin to refute it. 
or if you're listening to another preacher or teacher, you're analyzing it, and then you're coming up with mentally or even verbally coming against that conversation or that argument with a logical response. That is the reasoning style of evangelism. A couple tips, and, and uh, if this is you, is I would encourage you to pick your battles. Avoid fighting and burning bridges over non-essential issues. Or here's another one. If this is you, 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 you better study, you better prep, and you better pray, and then pick the time to have these conversations. Number three, another style of evangelism is, is this uh, testimonial style of evangelism. In John chapter 9, uh, we see the blind man. Uh, we, we hear that story where uh, this guy's been blind from, 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 the, from, the very, from birth. Jesus is walking along doing ministry, and then this guy who's blind from birth, he's begging on the side of the street, and Jesus is like, come on, I'm going to heal you. Boom, he heals him. Everybody's like, what's going on? Was this a stage? Was this a fake? Was this phony? Was this real? And then so the religious people get all offended, and then so uh, they're like, well, let's find his parents and really find out if this guy was really blind from birth. So, so they go find his parents, they ask the parents, and the parents are like, no, literally, he's been blind from birth. And then their parents are like, you know what, he's of age, he's an old enough man to speak for himself, why don't you go talk to him? And this guy, he turns around and he tells these folks, he says, listen, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. That's that testimonial style of evangelism. When I first became a Christian, all I was doing was going around and telling people how Jesus saved my life, how I experienced new life. My youth pastor told me, he said, Ryan, this is great. I'm glad you're doing it, but people get tired of your testimony after three years. If you're going to preach, if you're going to do evangelism, you got to do something more than your testimony. Testimonial style of evangelism, this may be you. You're vulnerable about your personal life. There's ups and downs. And you see a link between people's own experiences and other people's and your own. People with this testimonial style of evangelism say things like this. I've been there before. I know what that's like. You know, I was there too. God's really changed my life. Let me tell you how. That's that testimonial style that's so important. You may be this if you often speak of your own personal background or experience to illustrate a point that you're trying to make. Or this could be you if, if you use phrases like, I once felt that way too. This could be you if you say phrases like, I, I, I want to I understand what you're going through. I want to hear your story and I can connect with that story. You know, Tips for you, if this is your style of evangelism, would be, as I would say, share more of your story, but get to Jesus and his church. Because the blind spot of the testimonial style of evangelism is that you just talk about you and you don't talk about Jesus. And folks with the testimonial style of evangelism, they're like pent up. They want to share. But the blind spot could be is that they just talk about their story way too much rather than God's story. And people need to hear about God's story. I would say another tip for those of you that have this testimonial style of evangelism is practice it to tell your story. I work with, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people over the last 20 years of doing ministry and helped them get their testimony down. And do you know what I tell them? I say, this is how much time you have. Now, and here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write out um, what your life was like before Jesus, 
the difference Jesus made in your life and what Jesus is doing now. And nine out of 10 times, those folks that are excited to share their testimony, what they write about is their entire life before Jesus. And you're like, dude, can we get to Jesus? And they're talking about all the darkness that they went through, the struggles that they went through. And then you're like, have you probably seen it before in a church? Like somebody gets up and they're sharing their testimony. And you're like, dude, get to Jesus. Like, this is cool, but get to Jesus. It's important to practice your story if this is you. Somebody asked me in between the services, they said, hey, I've got a lot of those different styles of evangelism. And I say, great, that's awesome. A lot of folks do. They have multiple styles of evangelism, but you better find the one that is best fitted to you and really work on honing that and developing that. Another style of evangelism would be one that's very popular as well. And I would say, I hope this grows in our church because it's desperately needed in this generation is called the friendship style of evangelism. This one will cost you a lot though. And many of you are afraid for this style because the friendship style of evangelism is probably gonna get you labeled as a, 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 a sinner, a drunkard, a glutton, a cheat, a fraud because you're hanging out with drunkards, cheats, frauds. You're hanging out with people that are gluttons. And that's exactly what happens with Matthew. In Luke chapter 5, he's a tax collector. Tax collectors were cheats, frauds, corporate scammers. And Jesus says, come follow me. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, he just left everything and went and started following Jesus. Have you seen the, uh, the, the series? I love the series. It's called The Chosen. There's a scene in there where, it talk, where Matthew just literally leaves everything. And he's like been anticipating this moment. And he follows him. But it meant everything because he was married to money. He loved money. Money was his idol. And he hang, hangs out with all these crooks, in a sense. White-collar crooks. And then, but as soon as Matthew comes to faith in Christ, do you know what he does with Jesus? He says, you've got to come to my house. I'm going to invite all my friends. And you know who he invites? All the tax collectors, all the cheats, all the fraudsters, all, all the drunkards, all the gluttons. And then guess what everybody says in the religious community? Who's this Jesus? What's he doing? Is he a drunkard? Is he a liar? Is he a crook? See, this style of evangelism is so important. Research shows um, that the vast majority of the unchurched, the atheists, the agnostic, or the religious nuns, a new sociological term in demographics, is that the vast majority of them would prefer to have a conversation with a meaningful friend about what it means to be a Christian and understand Christianity. So how do you do that? You do that through friendship. The world needs friendship evangelism desperately. And many of you, I get it, don't have time for friends, right? You're like, I don't have time for friends. I've got enough friends. Well, then do your preachy style. Then do the invitational style. Do some other style. But for some of you, say, no, man, this is exactly how I would like to do evangelism. Young Life crushes this. They do a great job. They call it belong before you believe. They say you can belong to us, be a part of us, live with us, do ministry like... Very few youth organizations in the world do ministry like Young Life. Many people cannot handle Young Life because they do friendship evangelism so strong. And many of the Young Life leaders would have been kicked out of most youth pastor positions in the local church. I came to faith in Christ through friendship evangelism. I had friends that were coming to faith in Christ. I mean, I'll tell you, I can't tell you how bad 
uh, I'll tell you a few stories. It was so bad at a youth trip. Um, one of the youth pastors was my friend, and he said, Ryan, why don't you come to our youth camps? I said, I'll tell you why, because we can't smoke. And uh, he said, okay, what if I created a smoker's pit for you? I said, that sounds cool. And so uh, I, started, I started going to youth camp. And then he said, he told all the youth workers, he said, now listen, when Ryan, uh, when he wants a cigarette, you just need to go with him. <laughs> Let him smoke a cigarette. It was the first time I started hearing more and more about Jesus Christ. And what, they assigned this one guy named Jeff Cal to me. And Jeff Cal would come with me. We'd walk behind the dumpster at this youth camp. I'd be smoking a cigarette. I'd be like, what's up, Jeff? Smoking a cigarette. And then Jeff would be talking to me about his life and all this stuff. And I kind of got to know Jeff over the week. And then long story short, I graduated high school made a deal with God. I said, if I can survive through Cancun, Mexico, organize this big party trip, I'm going to reconsider Jesus and the church. I came to faith in Christ that summer after my senior year, and guess who my friends were? Two youth pastors. I went back to them. I said, man, my life, I'm giving my whole life to Jesus Christ. And then they discipled me for 10 years through friendship evangelism. Friendship evangelism is not putting a bunch of roadblocks on, on, on the person's relationship. Here's what happens in the church way too many times. Clean yourself up. You better quit smoking, quit drinking, then you can come hang out with me. Jesus did it different. Jesus really did it different. Now, I'm not telling you all to go out and start smoking and drinking, and that's how you're going to win everybody to faith in Christ. I'm just telling you, if you don't have friends that are unchurched or non-Christians, this isn't your style. And don't judge other people that are, because this is desperately needed. The, the unchurched, the atheist, the agnostic need this kind of style of evangelism desperately. And there's biblical foundation for this stuff. The fifth style of evangelism is the invitational style. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because all of you do it. You're good at it. You invite people to church. Great job. If you don't do it, this is probably the easiest style of evangelism that exists. All you do is you see somebody and like, hey, you should come check out my church. Talk to somebody or in between services, and I'm like, hey, great, great meeting you. Uh, how'd you get here? Oh, my friend invited me. I'm like, where's your friend? Your friend should be here. Key to note, note to self, if you're doing the invitational style of, of reaching out to people and inviting people, set a time, set a location, meet them there, and go sit down with them. Invitational style of evangelism happens with, with Jesus at the woman at the well. He shows up about noon after a long ministry trip, meets this woman who's got a, a very uh, licentious lifestyle, been sleeping around, has all sorts of affairs, and uh, Jesus meets her. She's, getting, she's thirsty. She's wanting to get some water. And then Jesus begins to say, guess what? I'm the living water that you need. Has a powerful conversation. She goes away. She tells all her friends, and the Bible says that many people came to faith in Christ. Many believed. She was going around saying, you got to come and see the man who told me everything. This invitational style is what we do at North Valley. You invite people to church, and you tell them, hey, you need to show up. you got to come and see what God's doing. This invitational style, this could be you, um, you're, you just enjoy. When you see a church event or an Easter, you're going to get so excited to invite people there. Or you look for other seminars or books or resources, and you try to get them there. And the highlight of your week is if the guest showed up. That's you. This is your style of evangelism. What are the blind sides? The blind side is that you can pass the buck. 
Literally, somebody could come up to you and say, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'd like to become one. And you go like, come to my church. Literally, I heard a story about that. Uh, if you've got the invitational style of evangelism so much, you tend to pass the buck because you think that everybody else is the specialist and you're not. So you just invite them. So in that style, literally, I heard a story about an individual who said, I want to become a Christian. How do I do that? Well, just come to church. I mean, that happens. So my encouragement to you is when inviting people to church, you know, um, be there yourself. Have the conversations about what it means to be a Christian yourself too. Also, for the people that are inviting people, give, give folks written details about events and times and meeting them there. Be intentional with that. The last style of evangelism um, and understanding your design to shine is this, is the serving style of evangelism. And that's what you saw showcased and highlighted through the Mexico video. And I actually, I came back and I thought, well, how do I do this with our church? Do I just push this one style of evangelism, one size fits all? I thought, no, that's not a very gracious nor biblical approach. The best approach is give you understanding of all the styles. The serving style is very obvious, and in Acts chapter 9, uh, uh, we get a documentation, a great case study of this service style of evangelism. There's a lady by the name of Dorcas. Uh, uh, her her uh, other name was Tabitha, which is translated to Dorcas, but she was full of good works, and she, acts, she acted incredibly uh, generous and caring, and she had a lifestyle of good works and generosity, literally. She would make clothes for the poor. She would give her time, her talent, her treasure. A great example of this would be for our minds is like Mother Teresa. Like Mother Teresa exemplified this very perfectly, serving the poor and the needy. A great example would be is going to Mexico and, and, and providing for the poor. And by the way, just so you know, in understanding the unchurched in America, the unchurched, the atheists, the agnostic, and the religious nuns all say, listen to all say in vast majority numbers that the church has an incredible value when they serve the poor and the needy. So we have a role and a responsibility. So I heard a story about this uh, recently of a young boy who um, went on the Mexico trip. Jacob is his name, and I'm going to highlight his story just because I'm so proud of the young boy and the impact that God's doing in his life. He comes to me after the service, and he says, hey, Pastor Ryan, he said, I wanted to give you this. It's a $100 bill. I said, man, that's really cool. Tell me about it. He said, well, I wanted to buy a, a new PlayStation. He said, but Mexico changed my life. And I said, man, that's pretty powerful. And he said, I want you to give it to the church. Or you guys do whatever you want to do with it. But Mexico changed my life. Here's $100. And I think about this style of evangelism. It's not just serving, but it's also giving. Mexico wasn't possible without your donations, without your giving, without your prayer, without you caring for the poor. And what we see is that when God begins to work in the hearts of individuals and they find their design, they start to shine. Brighter, more powerful. How could it be this true? Jesus said to all Christians for all times, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Not just one little area, the world. So how do we do that? Is it one style or is it multiple styles all working together in line with our design? Here's the next step. I want to challenge you. Next step is to get in line with your design. Get in line with your design. 
God designed you, Ephesians 2.10. He created you, formed you, fashioned you, prepared you, planned you. Just get in line with your design. And while I was preaching, you probably, one of those styles became the strongest. Some of you could relate to all of them. Some of you could relate to very few of them. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one of those is your style. And I want to challenge you to get in line with your design. Hey, right now we're going to do this. We're going to offer up a time for the folks that were on that Mexico mission trip just to share about how God was working in their lives through that process. So we'll pause for a moment. As you, you went on the Mexico mission trip, I want to encourage you to just raise your hand and Pastor Joshua is going to come around and give you the mic and uh, we'll start a sharing time. I'll hold it for you guys just to not pass germs. Okay, here we go. Hi, everybody. Um, so Mexico... Mexico for me was really uh, different because I've never done anything like that. I thought we were going on there to build a house. But it was so much more than that. I connected with people that are in my church that I see them on every Sunday, wave hi to them, say hi to them. Never knew anything about them. We went down there, we introduced, you know, Jesus to a family that probably never seen a Bible before or ever heard about them. Fellowshiped, spent time with my friends and fam- you know, my family was there. It's so much more than just going and building a house. And that's why I went to build a house. That's Tommy. So make sure, will you say your name right before you introduce yourself? Tommy, thanks for sharing, bro. Really wonderful. And stand up if you will. I'm putting extra pressure. All right, my name's Ford. Um, I learned something on this trip that I didn't expect to learn, and it was the difference between doing things that make me happy and things that make me fulfilled. So I have a lot of things in my life that make me happy, and one example of that is I like to play soccer. And it truly does make me happy, but I don't feel fulfilled with doing that. This trip, honestly, it made me feel fulfilled, and I think it's because it's doing the work that God has designed us to do. Um, so this year, I'm going to stop playing adult soccer and use those funds to fund my trip next year. We were sponsored this time going around, and uh, I just want to be able to fund it myself. So that's what I learned, fulfillment versus happiness. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. Over here, Trevor. Hey, and just so you know, Trevor, Trevor raises his hand. Um, it, so you know, for all of you, listen, I know many of you gave financially. Uh, for that trip, just to sponsor people. And so we're so proud of that. When you give, it makes a big difference. Hi, I'm Trevor. <laughs> ah, I'm just kidding. No, um, one of the biggest things I learned from this whole trip was um, first world and third world problems. Um, for me, I'm down at Taco Bell my entire life, or McDonald's or whatever it is. I'm like, son of a gun. They put lettuce on my burger. <laughs> or Taco Bell... I've said no lettuce, you know, <laughs> and I mean, it just, it, make, it definitely really humbles you. I mean, for us, we're always complaining about these little things that really are just really nothing compared to what they're doing down there. I mean, their issues in a third world problem is, am I going to eat this week? Not today or tonight. Am I going to eat this week versus some lettuce? So it definitely changes your mind. Somebody else.
Hello, I'm Lee. I just wanted to share how it really builds community. When you work together, you're dirty and have blisters and get to know each other better. And I'm thankful for this community that went along. It helped me become more of a part of it. So I'm Kathy. We haven't been in this church maybe a year. And going down to Mexico really bonded me with you people that went with us. Just getting to know you where otherwise I wouldn't have probably had that opportunity. But I've been going for 10 years. Once I crossed the border into Mexico, I have turned America behind me. And I don't think about what's going on at home. My mind is on Mexico. How can we help these people? They have so much to give to us if we could only accept it and live a simpler life. Mm. So it, it just revives my soul. I'm Alina, oh, sorry. I'm Alina and I just wanted to... Um, let you guys know what a blessing and how grateful I am for the opportunity that was given to us to be able to go to Mexico to serve with North Valley. Um, first of all, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your giving. Um, we, even though you guys weren't here, weren't there, whoever gave, we were your hands and feet, and we were able to provide an amazing home for the family in need. Um, we, because the funds raised, they have drywall and electricity and water. They went from a shack with their door was a curtain, or not even a curtain, a sheet as a curtain. And so um, it was an amazing experience. I know we were going to go there to bless that family. And in, in return, they blessed me and us, I think us Americans that went over there to help them 10 times fold. So if I highly recommend it for the kids. It was an amazing experience um, to get to know everyone within the church and then to be able to make friends there in Mexico with the kids and the family that we helped. So I ran back over from the, the children's ministry whew, to come tell you guys that this is an amazing experience. Um, the first year I went, I was scared to death to go across the border. I haven't been to Mexico since I was three. And I live near Mexico. <laughs> but um, if you think that you don't have skills to do this, just know that you, you're not all hammering, you're not all mixing uh, cement. There's something for everybody to do. If you don't think that you can fit in and do something, you can. And the, the payback you get from the Holy Spirit, from your, the group that you're with, and from the family that you're ministering to is like nothing else that you've experienced here on, in this side of the border. We don't have any idea of the, the level of poverty and the level of need that is beyond our borders. And you can make a difference, whatever small little increment. God doesn't ask us for the everything. He asks us for this much, just something. And you can do it. Thank you, Debbie. And we got to wrap this up pretty soon. It's going forever. This is good, though.
I just wanted to thank guys, I68 and North Valley community. You guys have changed my life. Mm. Thank you. Love you. All right. Thank you guys for sharing. It, uh, we'll share in our third service too. Um, for all of you, listen, we all played a part in that because there's prayer, there's giving, and, and that's in the sending part, you know. So thank you for doing that. For those of you that may be new with us and be like, man, I want to help contribute towards those uh, projects and plans in the future, we have a, a, a line item called the Hope Offering. So if you want to give to the Hope Offering, that funds our local and our global outreach initiatives. And that's an incredible fund. That's what Scholarship Ford earlier when he said, thank you for that. That enabled me to go. And now this year, I mean, look what God does out of that generosity. Look at that ripple effect. I'm going to quit playing uh, league soccer and save my money and pay for myself. You know, so thank you for doing that. When you give and serve, it makes a big difference. So you can do that four ways to give at North Valley. And uh, just realize ahead of time, those of you that have financially partnered with this church, you make it move forward. Okay, that car outside, that car is, was given to our church so that we can give it to somebody outside of the church. So if you know anybody in need, maybe a single mom or somebody that fell on hard times specifically, or especially maybe during this pandemic, lost their job, this church is going to give them a car. And uh, so we want you to help be that ambassador, partner with us to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. But listen what it takes. I need you to do this challenge to get in line with your design, just your design. And through that, we can make an incredible difference. We can be that light of the world that Jesus called us to be. So let's shine. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the challenge, the testimony, Lord, the good works, the generosity, all that stuff that's coming together in this church, it makes it absolutely abundantly evident and clear that you are at work here. I pray for all of us, Lord, to live generously and serve and give and push ourselves a little bit into a, a, away from fear and more into faith for our good, Lord, and ultimately for your glory. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.